Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. On the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives. We learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success. Today, we have Jack Skeels joining us. Jack is CEO and founder at Agency Agile Incorporated, and he's author of Unmanaged, Master the Magic of Creating Empowered and Happy Organizations. Welcome to the show, Jack. Well, thanks, Andy. What a great intro, and I love the way you say the uh, the subtitle of the book, so thank you very much for that. It's just uh, very nice to be here as well, and uh, great to meet you. I'm I'm keenly interested in learning more about this balance between empowered and happy organizations and what the magic is. Uh, but before we get there, uh, please tell our listeners your story. Yeah, as as uh, you know, this is a, always a tough thing for a guy. I've got a few years on under my belt and the like, so I'll just do a real quick version. Originally, a programmer coming out of college and quickly became an inadvertent project manager and hated it, but kept on doing it because it made you made good money doing it, and eventually um, built a company, ninety people, technical and management, program management, and sold that. Um, and uh, didn't back back when you sold those things, you didn't get a lot of money, right? Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. And uh, went to uh, went to grad school, and during grad school, uh, for my MBA because I thought this is cool business. Hey, it's kind of fun. And um, in uh, my summer internship, I ended up at Rand Corporation, the think tank, because they wanted someone who knew consulting and could put together a business plan for how to also be a consultancy like McKinsey on top of the think tanky stuff they do. Um, end up staying there for four years. They invited me to stay. They loved having an MBA, sort of a pet MBA in the room. Learned a lot, especially around knowledge worker organizations, which I know we're going to talk about today. Um, and eventually just um, you know, decided I wanted to be back in the real world and uh, did some executive things and eventually ended up working in probably the most complex knowledge worker space there is, which is um, these very high-velocity, deadline-driven organizations known as advertising and marketing agencies. Right. And I ended up running one and running a couple and and realizing that, in fact, people don't understand how this sort of project-driven organization needs a different way of thinking about managing. And that's kind of been my mission for the last 15 years or so and culminating, of course, with the book, which we'll, I'll refer to a little bit today as well. That's wonderful. So, Jack, uh, I'd like to ask this rocket booster uh, question. What is one event in your storied career that just put uh, rocket boosters behind your career? Yeah, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go a little bit on the fun side with this because it's also very real. And I think there are people out there that went through the kind of thing I went through as well. I never knew what I wanted to be, except I knew I wanted to be like really good at it. And I was also curious about everything. So what a nightmare that is trying to pick something, right? <laughs> and I mean, it's even, I was fascinated by plumbing and I got fired as a plumber, in fact, at one point. And that's, that's sort of my moment. And I, I want to point that out. I would describe my career, which I, I think of myself as I'm really happy and I'm really good at what I do right now. And I found this groove as I, as I mentioned but there were a bunch of moments and I felt like I was in a pinball machine, right? I was the ball, right? You know, I'm like tooling along. Oh, guess I'm going to do this. And then bam, I hit a bumper and I go a completely different direction. 
And that was when I got fired from being a plumber and I had dropped out of college because I thought, I'll just be a plumber or college so hard, whatever. And my boss, a guy named Chuck Hanby, who passed away a few years ago, but Chuck, Chuck came over and said, Jack, we're not going to be able to keep you. And I was heartbroken. I was like, my parents were PhD economists, okay? And, <laughs> and here I can't keep a plumber job, right? And I start crying right there on the shop floor, you know, is at a big Del Monte factory. And I start crying and he looks at me and goes, Jack, you belong in college. Look how smart you are. Go back to school, will you? And walked away. And I did. And that, I mean, but that was like yeah. literally, you know, I, I could have been, you know, I could be under your kitchen sink today. I know you're in Wisconsin. I was in Northern Illinois. Maybe I would have ended up in La Crosse and repairing your kitchen sink. Um, and instead I'm doing what I'm doing now. And it was not me going, boy, I shouldn't be a plumber. It was that the world gave me that feedback. And that, that I mean, I've got about a half dozen of those things. My life has been filled with those things very yeah, fortuitous bounces in the uh, the pinball machine of my life. So, yeah, I like that about the 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 first part of your book. You you tell the story, the the, the plumber story. Plumbers uh, add tremendous value uh, to our economy. Of course, uh, I mm -hmm. would uh, be a terrible plumber. Um, I, I can, I can do it. Uh, but, um, I, I would, I would, I know that I would be a terrible plumber. Uh, apparently we have that in common. So, yes. <laughs> uh, so Jack, uh, I, I'd like you to tell us more about your new book, Unmanaged. Um, you've, I, my, my question here is what's the one message you want readers to take away after reading this book? Yeah, I, I think that there's the title itself was chosen among many, you know, I know you've got a couple of books as well. And um, the, that title was chosen to make people ask a question, right? And so unmanaged sounds like, ooh, you know, like if I said, oh, my whole department was unmanaged this week. People go, ooh, what happened? You know, <laughs> was there a crisis? And in fact, the, the provocative idea there is that you probably overmanage. And things will go just fine with a little bit less managing and a lot of times a lot less managing. Right. And so that means picking and choosing which managing you do and which managing you stop doing. And that's what the book is about, helping you understand how to be that. That's I used to call it the lazy manager, right? Only do exactly what you need to do, but don't do more, right? Do no yeah. harm. So that's the idea. Yeah, I, uh, one of the things, one of the quotes that I really like is on uh, page 12, uh, where you, you say, when I read the paragraphs above, I think, come on, Jack, lighten up. How hard could this really be? I mean, I do fine enough already, and now you're making this all complex and my job harder. And, uh, and as I read the, the first pages of your book, I'm like, go, go, go. You're, you're not being hard on yourself, and you're certainly not being hard on managers. I, I talk about the accidental manager in, uh, mm. in, in my work. Uh, so there's, uh, there's some, there, there's some connectivity, uh, between us, but, uh, I, when I, when I went back and, you know, you, when, when you publish a book, you read it more times than you read your own work more oh times than oh you would like. <laughs> but I, I read the first few pages of mine and I was like, gosh, Andy, you're being awfully uh, preachy here and awfully hard on everybody, but the managerial community needs it. So um, yeah. let, let's, uh, 
let's this is this this episode is all part of a mini series on organizational culture. I think your book has a lot of, will have a lot of impact on org culture. Can you define the term for us? What does culture mean to you? So I, I sort of lean on the classic org psych org behavior kind of thing, which is culture is the way the organization responds or behaves, if you will, in any given moment, context, et cetera, right? In other words, mm-hmm. the, a lot of people, you know, I, I did a webinar years ago called um, why, uh, why Free Beer and Skateboards Won't Make Your Agency Culture Great, right? Okay, because these are these extrinsic rewards and incentives that don't do anything. And it, it's really about how do we treat each other in the workplace? What are our behaviors and there's usually a big mismatch. Uh, the reason I'm just differentiating is because people, CEOs, I know you're a CEO before I've been one as well. CEOs will say, well, we have a culture of X. And when you go look inside the organization as a consultant coming in, you're like, mm, not really. No. <laughs> yeah, you uh, definitely don't have that. And and it's so odd because culture comes from the top. The leader of the organization really sets the tone for the whole organization. And it's amazing how blind a leader can be to what is actually happening uh, at the coalface of, 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 their, of their organization. Yeah, I, I think there's a, and this, this is a whole little rabbit hole we could go down, yeah. but I just want to add one thing because I, I do have it in the book and I think it's an interesting thing, is values-based statements need to be behaviorally actionable and measurable, right? And I'm going to give you two of them. One is we are all empowered, you know, and so nobody knows how to do that, right? Okay. Nobody knows how to, you know, like, how do I go into the meeting and be empowered, right? Right. Um, but I can do another one that's like, nobody should be a jerk. And that's, I kind of get how I should do that. Okay, I should be nice to people and not not be a jerk, right? And I can tell if someone else is doing it or not, right? So we can actually monitor. So I, I think that's one of the big challenges leaders have a lot of times is making um, actionable vision or values statements, right? That then can that, that that's it doesn't translate well. It's a it's a platitude, not a not a directive. Yeah, yeah. In 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 my work, I talk about the combination of values and behaviors and, and, and actually writing down the behaviors and publishing values and behaviors side by side, uh, because you're, you're absolutely right that values by themselves, uh, they're more kind of the nouns of, uh, yeah, <laughs> well, well put. Yeah. And they're, and they're, they are, as you said, uh, really not actionable. How do I translate this? Uh, yeah. into the into the into the workflow of the org. Um, this show is called the Balancing Act podcast. So let's talk balancing acts. Uh, in your work, you focus on the world of knowledge workers. Um, if you're a corporate decision maker, probably the chief human resources officer that's in charge of improving an existing cultural landscape in a company that's embedded in the knowledge economy. What's the most important balancing act that you as the CHRO have to consider before diving in? Well, I think it's just, my answer is kind of a sad answer. Okay. And I think that is that um, the, the, what, what we see in the work we do at agency. So at agency agile, what we do is we help 
agencies and other project-driven organizations run better. And as you guessed, maybe some agile techniques, but really a lot of other stuff to help them run effectively. And when people say, well, how hard is that to do? How hard is that change to do? So this is that CHRO question, right? How much change can we accomplish? The, the question I come back with is, where do you think, what part of the organization do you think is hardest to change? <laughs> and the answer is it's management and also leadership, right. especially management. And so the, 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 and that's because the, the culture of management, in other words, this accepted model of behavior inside the organization is both, uh, it's, it's invisible to people. People do a lot, ma most managers, I know you, you talk about the accidental manager, right? The accidental manager learns to manage, quote unquote manage, okay? Not necessarily that's good managing, by mimicry, right? Right. I do what the other managers do. I do what managers are expected to do, even if that's not effective, right? And I, I think that's the problem is the cracking as a CHRO. I, I feel so much pity for that, that job because my gosh, you've to really make a change. You've got to find a way, find a way to introduce the ideas and also induce the idea that, well, maybe, maybe I as a manager have to do something differently. And, and I'll just close with this thing. So many, for example, agile implementations. Again, we're not in the big agile implementation shop, but I know you've got listeners out there that'll know this. So many people use agile techniques and they don't change the way they manage. Okay. It's just a technique for the teams, right? Right. And that means you're doing nothing at all because you haven't actually changed. Agile, in fact, was about changing the whole ethos of management and the like. Yeah. The, uh, uh, I've we we did a a of a, a complete uh, lean and continuous improvement uh, Im implementation within our business, and uh, and there but there were parts of the of the company uh, that I wasn't running that said, oh yeah, that's really cool, uh, awesome. Let's apply that to our customer service team, or let's apply that to our project management team, uh, but. But oh no, we're not gonna the C suite. No, we're not gonna adopt any of those principles. <laughs> that that that's for everybody else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Jack, we're gonna take a really quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Andy Tempty. Over the past 35 years, I've learned a lot about business leadership, and I'd like to share those lessons with you. Ask yourself, how do I create an effective, sustainable management operating system? How do I design smooth workflows to better serve the customer? How do I balance organizational trust with accountability? The Balanced Business describes the practical, step-by-step -step process you need to answer these questions. Order your copy today, wherever books are sold. And we're back with Jack Skeels talking about the world of corporate culture. Uh, Jack, I like to run thought experiments. Uh, suppose that you're talking to a mid-level manager or an individual contributor who's working in a knowledge business who believes that their company's corporate culture is suboptimal. They probably feel stuck and powerless. What advice do you have for this individual to really make a difference? That's a good one. Okay. Um, those are two very different people. Okay. In a, in a typical hierarch hierarchical knowledge worker organization, right? 
Um, I'm going to deal with the individual contributor first, which is get your resume ready and go look around, see if you can find a better place. Okay. You, there's very little you can do, right. Okay. Because the, the culture does come from at least from the middle, if not from the top. Um, and, and so the, there's all kinds of research, a a great, I could point readers to, um, great work done by a guy named Rensis Likert, you know, Likert from the Likert scale. It's a scale he invented to actually survey workers in the in the workplace back in the 1950s. But basically, um, this is where theory X and theory Y came from and got validated as well, is theory X behaviors, that is the sort of over, overbearing, hierarchical, severe management styles, which we're talking about in your in your in your example here. Um, they're they're very resilient. Right. And so you're not going to change it. You're just going to be a whatever, outlaw or something like that. So you might as well move on, find some place that'll appreciate your, your love of, of better, of being better managed and the like. At the mid level, though, I think I've seen a lot of managers and we work with them all the time that can take fine. I'm mid level. So that means I've got a department or a couple departments and you can create a bubble, right? Um, you need to, and I used to do this back in my early days in project and program management inadvertently, but creating bubbles that are sort of like within my purview, we're going to operate in a certain way, right? And it's a much more holistic, engaged, empowering, all that kind of thing. And um, and we're going to have to def- present ourselves with an interface layer to the rest of the organization, right? And um, and I, I think it's very doable, Um it's still probably not your optimal spot, but if you want to get some good practice of doing it and, and maybe you can become an internal change agent, um, but that's, that can be challenging as well. Yes. Uh, thank you for that, Jack. I lived uh, much of my career as a bubble maker. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that metaphor. Um, and you've, it's a, kind of the first time I've thought of uh, as, as, as a bubble. So we would create these, uh, these bubbles of what we felt was uh, uh, operational excellence and managerial excellence that we were we would hope, and I know that hope's not a management strategy, but when you're creating the the bubble like that, you're 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 really asking people to then look in from the outside and go, "Wow, that is uh, that's really cool. What's going on over there? Maybe we should adopt some of those principles." And your bubble can infect uh, the 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 rest of the organization over time. It's just how persistent uh you you want to be as that as that middle middle manager before you say throw your hands up and say okay i'm not making a difference here anymore and i'm gonna polish up my resume yeah i I think it's worthwhile let me just throw a quick example in too on this like the you know so one of the things i early on i was um i I became just slightly and only slightly enamored with some of the ideas that ended up in agile one was called um um the uh sort of time-based development. In other words, like figure out what you can do for the next two weeks. It's called a sprint now, right? It wasn't called that back then. Um, and um, the uh, figure out what you do for two weeks, go, let the team go do it and then inspect it and decide what to do for the next two weeks kind of thing. And I, I got into that in a big way and I was a lazy project manager. So I very early on, I was like, people would say, well, what's up with that project? And I would say, let me go ask the team. I'll be right back. You know, that kind of thing. Right. And, 
I started noticing very quickly. Now, that is the right answer, by the way. Okay. That is the right empowering managerial answer. Because then you go to the team and you say, hey, I'm getting a request about such and such. What do you guys think? Where do you think you are? And what do you... And instead of making up lies about them, right? I'm actually giving them an engagement to the next layer of leadership or, you know, our, our, our target client and the like, but it doesn't come off all that well. Right. It sounds like, well, when the hell are we paying you to be managing this thing? If you always have to go ask the team and uh, the real answer is, well, because that's the thing you're paying me to do is go ask the team because it makes for a better team. But I very quickly learned, I had to answer in these sort of vague, again, platitudinous kind of things. Um, you know, like, Things are going pretty well. And uh, yeah, let me get the latest update for you because I want to give you accurate information. <laughs> you know, And just so it sounds like I'm very intent on it, I'm demonstrating managerial intention and all that kind of thing. And But again, you know, that's, and that's the bubble. That's the bubble boundary there, right? I'm going to behave one way looking outwards and one way looking inwards. Yeah, yeah. So, Jack, you are... Uh, an expert on project management. I, I'd like to focus our attention there for just a bit because we have listeners in in that area of ex. Uh, so, in some organizations, project managers are viewed as essential to organizational success and strong culture. They're the glue that holds everything together. Things are going well. In other organizations, and I've seen this directly, project managers are viewed negatively non-value adding, lacking commercial savvy, gatekeepers, etc. Um, let's do another thought experiment. Suppose you have the leader of a project management team within an organization that's viewed as being a drag on the company's culture sitting in front of you right now. What advice do you have for this leader to turn things around? <laughs> okay, read my book. Um, sorry, that was, a, that was a, <laughs> thanks get, for the soft Get out of the way there. and read my book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, look, I think the, um, and I was actually just, I just put a post up on LinkedIn about this today. Um, I, I think that, you know, out of the sort of, if we think of defining project management using the PMBOK, you know, the, uh, the project management body of knowledge, VOK, right? Mm -hmm. um, there, there are like 26 or 20, I always forget the number, different practice areas within that, all those things that a PM could do and the like. And, and, it, and typically what happens is PMs, the fact that you could do something, as you might guess from the title of my book, the fact that you could do something doesn't mean that you should, right? You could call meetings all day. That doesn't mean you should. And in fact, a lot of key functions are better performed by teams, especially in knowledge worker organizations, like getting teams to take ownership of scope rather than pushing them at the, getting them to take ownership of schedule and things like that. So the the best touch, and by the way, I'll warn you, like having very senior project managers in a knowledge worker organization is causes those examples that you gave is that they're just like, they're getting in the way they're, you know, they're bossy, whatever, all that kind of thing. Um, I want some, I want humble, high EQ project managers that are mid to junior level that are just looking for what is it I can do to make things run smoother, right? Not how can I be in charge? Not how, how, yeah, I mean, the biggest problem, by the way, is if you think your project management team owns projects, then you've got a big problem, okay? Because project managers should never own projects, never own scope, never own schedule. That's, that's, that all that does is create disasters. I go into it in a lot of depth in the book, but that's, that's my advice is 
have your people back off a bit, right? Work on that. Yeah, yeah. That is fantastic advice. Uh, Jack, let's have some fun now, okay? In the last few minutes of the show, um, I'm going to give you an access. I'm going to give you access to a time machine. You awesome. can send a short message to an earlier version of Jack Skeels. What's the message and what's the previous version of you that you choose to send it to? Oh, I, I do my 19 or 21-year-old self and uh, and say, you know, Go buy, uh, go buy a bunch of Bordeaux and Burgundy futures, and uh, buy and hold, and then sell them, sell them thirty years later. I, I think nice. the, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I go to the economic thing. My parents were college professors and the like, but I, um, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you, as much as my life has been the pinball machine, and it has, I don't know that I want to miss any of that journey. So it's a tricky question. You know, I mean, it's that sort of time yeah. time machine problem, right? Which is what what are you going to screw up in the rest of your life? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I might say just like have faith, have faith, Jack, hang in there or something like that. Yeah, that that's awesome. Um, so, Jack, we are all works in progress. We're always yeah. learning as leaders. What are you focused on right now in your personal journey of growth? You, you know, I, th I think the as you grow as a leader, you have to keep on growing your understanding of yourself as a leader. And so I do a lot of work around that. And I, I, I think that you know, one of the great things for any leader to do is journaling, you know, which is a good, you know, behavioral, cognitive behavioral practice, a journal what you're thinking about situations and thinking through. And it gives you a nice uh, ability to sort of reflect and, and have that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, and I do, I do coaching. I, I get coaching and not, not as much as I used to, but, um, I, but I still do that periodically. So I think the, um, and, and for me, these, for me these days, really it is. In fact, I loved writing the book as painful as it was, you know, you write the book you read the book like 4 million times and you rewrite the book more than you wrote it and all that kind of thing. But I, I do have a yeah. huge passion for that. So that's really my, um, how do I get that, those messages out the next level, the next round of messages out to the, to the marketplace. Well, it's a, it's a great lesson for our listeners. It's a lesson that I like to talk about uh, frequently, which is, pick up a pen and yeah. get a piece of paper and actually write stuff down. Uh, there is a really strong link between the brain and the hand yeah. as it, as it's writing. And it's much, much stronger than watching a video or, or any other kind of con passive uh, educational process. So congratulations on uh, writing your book. How, how, what was the, uh, what was the time span from idea oh God, so to actually out to market? <laughs> that's too embarrassing to actually, I'd need to know you way better before I could tell you that number. Okay. <laughs> but I do know that um, I, in June of 2022, if I look in my journal, I say, I really need to get this book finished. And that's when the book started getting finished. So um, there was some number awesome. of days, weeks, months, years before that when it actually started. So. Right, right. Yeah, a lot of people think that haven't written books think, oh, books just kind of appear, oh you know, <laughs> there's this, uh, and it, it is a multi-year uh, process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jack, it has if been I, I, wonderful to get to know you. Let me throw one you. last comment on oh, that, because, you know, yeah. you get to know authors when you become an author, right? I mean, even if they're not, you right. know, Truman Capote or anyone like that, 
Um, but one of the ones I love, Blair Enns, who writes book on, on uh, value-based selling and stuff like that. But Blair and I had this great conversation and he said, hey, anyone can have an idea. Okay. Ideas are cheap and anyone can write a, you know, like a 1500 word blog post or LinkedIn article or whatever. Good for you, your op-ed piece or whatever. Go take your ideas and put them in a book and see how they stand up. It's, it's a right. brutal, awesome experience. Okay. You will tear yourself apart and you'll put yourself together again. So that's, uh, I highly recommend yeah. it by the way. Yeah. 80,000 words is, uh, <laughs> It's a lot. Yeah. Uh, Jack, where can uh, folks uh, get in touch with you? If you want to reach me and connect with me, of course, LinkedIn, Jack Skeels. I think it's LinkedIn, whatever, slash, and Jack A. Skeels. And also, um, if you'd love to uh, see what we can do to help you do some of this stuff that I've referred to um, at, at agencyagile.com, and we've got a contact form, of course, on the page. So give us a shout that way. Fantastic. It's been lovely getting to know you, and I'm sure our listeners uh, will uh, feel that same vibe that I've, that positive vibe that I've gotten from you. Uh, my name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major uh, streaming services. Please like, subscribe, rate, share, uh, and uh, take a look at Jack Skeel's uh, work and his business. Until next time, we'll see you later.